Well, good morning, church family. It is really, really good to be gathered with you this morning and sing together and worship our God together this morning. And if you are here and you're a guest, I want to say a special welcome to you. We're honored that you're here with us on kind of a special day. Uh, this is a culminating really an important week in the life of our church. We've called it Neighbors and Nations Week. And you guys know it's been a week where we as a church have set aside some time to just be reminded of what we say all the time but to really focus and remember that every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus has been equipped and called and set apart and commissioned and given the privilege to make Jesus Christ known. And as we saw earlier, that begins in our homes and that's our neighbors where we live, where God's planted us and that's to the nations of the world. And we're going to be reminded of that this morning in a special way. And sometimes in this call to make Jesus known. For some of us, that means that God takes us from what's comfortable, maybe what we've known or what's familiar or where we've grown up and to, leads us to cross a culture or go to a new place or be a part of something brand new. And this morning, I'm going to ask Derek Sherfy to come on up here with me. And many of you guys, uh, you know the Sherfy family, Derek and Kayla and their kids. Uh, Derek's going to be bringing us the word this morning, but I want to just take a second and introduce who this guy is. Some of you all know the bearded one, and some of you don't know the bearded one. So ridiculous. <laughs> but but uh, Derek's part of our church here at Tri-Cities for almost a decade, and uh, he's a lot different than he was when God first brought him here. God has done incredible work in his life. His wife, Kayla, they were married here. They met here, and it's been neat to see what God has done just through discipleship, really the body discipling the body of Christ, and he in many ways is a product of you, of so many of you investing in the lives and just doing what we do as a church of making disciples. But God is, God is called, he and Kayla, they live now in Denver, Colorado, and they are a part of planting a brand new local congregation called the Oaks Church that's there, and it's in the early, early stages. He'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, but Derek was sent out from our church, and we get to be a part of that in so many ways, and he'll make reference to that. Uh, but really neat to hear that God has taken Derek, grown him here, sent him and Kayla to a place like Denver, and ultimately to make disciples and reach the nations from a place called Denver, Colorado. So I'm going to pray for you, bro. Please do. He's going to bring us God's word from Acts 13 in just a minute. So why don't you join me? Don't just listen to me pray, especially you that know Derek and Kayla and their family. You lift them up before the Lord. And I just say this, don't just pray for Derek, pray for your heart this morning. I, I was in the 930 service. I know the challenge that God has for us this morning that I'm about to quote him, so I'm not going to take his statement away. Um, you're going to be challenged from God's word this morning, and I hope our, pre our preparation is, yes, Lord, yeah. give me ears to hear, walk in obedience, and whatever that looks like. So I want you to bow your head with me. You pray for one another, and let's pray for Derek as he's going to bring God's word to us here this morning. Jesus, we love you. We are overwhelmed this morning by your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your authority and your sovereignty and just your love. And God, I, I, just, I thank you for the Sherfy family. And he's going to say over and over again, which is true, it's no capes. He's no Superman. He's a disciple of the Lord Jesus that's been discipled and desires to make disciples. Just like everybody in this room that knows you. Thank you for what you've done in his life. Lord, I ask you now to give us ears to hear not from just a person, but from your living word, your spirit, and send us out in obedience to reach the nations for your glory. We love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Church, would you welcome Derek and let him know that glad he's here this morning. Well, top of the morning to you, Tri-Cities. 
How are we doing? Good? So I've got two things bouncing around in my heart. <clears throat> well, a lot of things, if you know me, you know that's always true. Um, two things are uniquely before we dive into Acts 13. Uh, first is it's really, really bizarre for me to be standing on this stage about to preach to you, not as one of your pastors anymore, uh, but as one of your sent ones. Um, and it's a unique gift and a privilege. And I just say we love you and we thank you uh, for having us back and uh, really eager to share a little bit about what God's been doing in Denver. Um, I have something I need to say to you from the text. I don't want to spend too much of an update. Uh, but they've asked us to give an update. But you see the website there, theoakschurch.net. We would love for you to get on there. You can see vision, values, all of our stuff. Uh, you can also sign up to be a prayer partner. We send out a regular, typically monthly uh, updates of what kind of what God's been doing over the last month and kind of looking ahead of how you can pray in, in particular ways in the month ahead. And so we would love for you to keep in touch with us that way. So write that down, theoakschurch.net. We'll let that be a lot of our update uh, that way. Uh, but I want to show you a picture of our team. Uh, these are our leaders of the Oaks Church. There's more people that are kind of around uh, us that's not represented in this picture. But these are our covenant members, uh, leaders of leaders uh, that we hope to mobilize to make disciples uh, throughout the city. And so uh, you recognize a couple of those people. So uh, the Vives were out of this church. Mel Richards was out of this church. And then Emily Robertson there in the middle. She grew up in this church. Um, so those are all Tri-Cities. And the rest of those folks, two families from Louisville, Kentucky that we met during our time in Louisville. Uh, and then one family from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana that God's all called to join us in Denver. And so just their story, real brief, is they have regular jobs like you. Uh, they're not superheroes like none of us. <laughs> uh, that God had set them apart to say, I could take my job and I could live in a place like Denver, Colorado and use my job and use the gifts that I have, use the experiences that I have uh, to make disciples and plant a church that does not yet exist in the city. So if you aren't around, you weren't at the, the banquet Friday night, church planning in, in real brief, as you move into a place, you do everyday life much like you do here, but the, the, the difference is 96% of the people that we walk past every day are not following Jesus in Denver. And we want to see them know Jesus. And so we love them and we invite them in to our lives and invite them to know Jesus. And when they do, we pray that God would save people, then you disciple them, you teach them what it means to follow Jesus. And when you have enough of that, you form underneath leadership and you have a church. <laughs> like that's the process that we're in. So we're in this phase of people that moved out literally as missionaries, as a core team to come out and say, we're going to come for the city of Denver and the church will be birthed out of the faithfulness of people like this. And so we just, uh, Mike said this, but we just asked, I mean, we're asking for more people we're overwhelmed by the amount of opportunity and the need in our city. And we're asking for more of these people to come join us. But please, etch that image in your mind and just remember to pray for those people. They've left a lot and they're so faithful. We love them so much. Uh, eager to get back to them. But please pray for them. Uh, and so that's number one, it's on my mind. Number two, that's on my mind, bouncing around in my heart, um, is preparing for this sermon. I wasn't expecting something to happen that happened in my heart. And just had a depth of affirmation and conviction well up in me. That's been happening, uh, but it, the Spirit was so kind to prepare me to say what I'm about to say to you. That I am exactly where I need to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in Denver. And I remember a year and a half ago sitting in that pew, about to come up here to do this as the last time as one of your pastors. 
doubting what we just sang. Obedient, because we just sold our house and we're about to move to Louisville, Kentucky for a season of prep and then go to Denver. We've been to Denver since February. Um, saying, God, wherever you lead, we're going to follow you. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we trust you. Um, but I, don't, I was really doubting it. I wanted to believe it. We were believing it with our lives. But now a year and a half removed, and singing that song, I mean, I about lost it. Well, I did lose it, both Catherine's. Singing that song, because here's what I mean, and that's what I want for you. Trust it. I want this for you so much. Is what I have come to experience about the goodness of God on the other side of obedience. I've learned things about Jesus that I would not have learned if I wouldn't have trusted him and listened. He really can be trusted with your life. He really is worth whatever it will cost you. And it may cost you everything. He's worth it. And we're just getting started in this journey. And something's pivoted in our team's lives. because We're watching God, listen, answer prayers in ways that, honestly, you probably wouldn't even believe if we had to talk. Just crazy, audacious ways that God is coming through and revealing himself to us in the midst of really ordinary situations. It's not super time all the time and just going out in this big movement being spread. It's just everyday life. But the sweetness and the trust that we have of watching God stir in the hearts of men and women in our city. Um, and I want that for you. And get this, you do not have to move to Denver to feel that and experience that. And some of you, maybe you're coming in out of season to dryness. I know what that's like. The doubt, I definitely know what that's like. Maybe you're here even exploring Christianity. And I just want to say, you will understand more of God when you trust him and step out in mission. It's not the only piece of this, but it is a huge piece. Sometimes we think that we can't do something until I got everything fixed inside. And what I just want to say to you is trust him that the heart of God is for the nations. The heart of God is for people that don't have access to him. And when you begin to align your heart with his heart, the depth of trust that you begins to well up um, with your God. And I want that for you. Maybe that means move to Denver. Maybe that means to move to the nations like we're going to talk about today. Um, but it may mean staying right here doing what you're doing. But to revision, reimagine, realign your life to say, I want my life to be aligned with what God has been doing throughout human history and around the world. I don't want to get so tunnel vision, so bogged down into my everyday to miss out on the purpose to which he called me. And there's something that will come alive in you in the midst of all the suffering and the hardships and the loss. I just don't want to paint the picture of being a martyr. We don't feel that way. We, I love this place, it's good to be back, but we're ready to get back to Denver. There's just something down in me, and I want you to have that kind of conviction wherever it is that God has you. Where is he calling you? And so I pray that we listen today with an open hand. Um, yeah, and so five years ago, I took a team or a group of people from this church, college students, to Louisville, Kentucky to sit in a conference where they talked about some of the things that we're going to talk about today. And for the first time in really in my life, I, it, something clicked. It wasn't the first time I heard it. But it was the first time it clicked of what the Bible is really about, what God has been doing in the world, what it means to follow him. And it changed me. And I really do believe that day that God called me and my wife to leverage our life for the global glory of God, for, to spend our lives for the nations of the world, to gather around the throne of Jesus and to do whatever it takes. Then... Two years ago, God called us to Denver, um, and, 
it's been probably just since the last six months that I reconciled those two things in my life. And so what I want you to hear is my calling to the nations is my calling to Denver. And those things are not in competition with one another. But your calling to the nations and your calling to do whatever it is that God calls you to do is not in competition with one another. God, I'm praying by his spirit, speaks and calls some of you to go, to join us in Denver, to go to Portland, go to D.C., go wherever it is that God would have you, to go to an unreached people group that we're going to talk about in a second. I'm praying that that would happen among so many of you in this room. But most of you won't go. You'll stay. And that is not lesser. Hear me. It is not lesser than. But to see your part in this great, great purpose. And so one of the reasons that that calling for me and how we're reconciling that is in our neighborhood, I can go to our Starbucks. And yes, we still go to Starbucks and all the hipster coffee shops in Denver, but I still go to my Starbucks. Because every time, this is my neighborhood, so one day in particular, I was there for 30 minutes, and I met six people from six different countries. Denver's a city of three million people. Uh, some will say four million people. I mean, the city's just sprawling out. 1,200 people a month, a month, move to this city, to Denver. It's just unfathomable. Um, 96% in the city itself, 96% of those three million people are not in a church this morning. In our neighborhood, we have uh, 200,000 people. Listen, this is my neighborhood. 200,000 people in a three-mile radius. I just want that to kind of sink in, the density of, uh, of, of our city. And there's maybe three churches. We can maybe say five but I don't know that they preach the gospel, so we haven't included them yet because I haven't met their pastors. But there's five like buildings, but three that I know are faithful churches. And that's not to say that that's all the Christians that are in that place. I'm just saying the need is great in a city like Denver. There's 175 languages spoken in Denver. Most of the peoples from the world that are moving into the city of Denver are from unreached, unengaged parts of the world. In our neighborhood alone, so that's the city itself, in our neighborhood alone, 60 languages from 40 nations in a three-mile radius represented in urban Denver. And so just if you don't know, city center of Denver, like the skyscrapers, we're about two or three miles south of the skyscrapers. So we're definitely urban Denver, but we're not living like a high-rise or anything. We live in a neighborhood that probably looks like yours. Um, but that's the stats. That's the, the nature of where we are. Um, just um, this last month, we were meeting before he came out here, meeting with three different ethnic pastors, uh, two of which from Burma. If you've watched in the news what's happening in Myanmar, Burma right now, these believers that God's brought here as refugees that are following Jesus, and we're helping equip them, train them to plant ethnic churches in our neighborhood to reach the nations there. There's Denver University in our neighborhood. There's great wealth. Some of the richest neighborhoods in Denver are on this like west side of our three-mile radius, and then you cross a four-lane road and you're in some of the most poverty-stricken parts of all of the city. And so we don't even know what church planting looks like in that part of town. So please pray for us. But here's the point. This is why we flew out here to tell you. is as dark as Denver is and strategic as that place is for the, for the nations, the need that is so great for more churches to come in Denver and Portland and virtually every city is there exist 3.13 billion, that's with a B, billion people in this world 
who do not have access this morning to Jesus. Like, there's lost people where you live. There's lost people where you work. There's lost people all around you. There's lost people in Denver, and we need more churches to reach them. But there's people around the world that aren't just lost, that they do not know a Christian. They've never met a Christian. They, they had no church to go to. They, can't, they don't have access to just Google Pastor Mike's sermons and hear the gospel preached. That 80%, joshuaproject.net would say, 80% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists around the world do not even have a personal relationship with a follower of Jesus. That some of these places we can't just go into to openly preach the gospel. It would cost our lives to do so. We're having to think creatively and strategically around the world to do. So out of the 7.6 billion people in the world today, 3.13 billion of them have no access. They're what they call unreached or unengaged, meaning they're not just in that unreached category. There's nobody right now trying to get to them. That's 41% of the world that's there. Like that's, that's the reality of what it is that we live in, but that's not going to motivate us exclusively, stats. I don't even think we can really wrap our minds around the stats. Even just talking about Denver, like, man, just come see it. You can't even. So what I want to do today is walk you through the Word of God through Acts 13 of a church that you looked at last week, the church at Antioch, that was planted through some, we don't even know, some unknown, some brothers that planted a church And now we're going to fast forward in Acts 13 today and look at a year and a half or so removed from the moment you looked at last week of a moment in their life together, just normal stuff, going to church like this and what the Spirit of God chose to do for the sake of the nations around the world and what would happen as a result of these people's um, obedience. And here's what I'm praying for the church here at Tri-Cities. I've been praying for you so much that God would speak out of this text that maybe the example here, that you won't see any commands in these three verses we're about to read. No commands. It is a description. But I'm praying that this description would describe this church. I'm praying that it would happen at the Oaks Church, that more and more people come to know Jesus, and we would plant multiple churches out of your example. But let's just read Acts 13, and then I've got three things um, out of these three verses that I just want to encourage us with. But first, let's hear the word of the Lord. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. So, God, would you come now, through your word, by your spirit, speak, change us, teach us what it means to obey you. And, God, I pray we would get a glimpse of your global glory this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing out of this, uh, these three verses that I want to give you. If we're going to make known the love of Jesus among the nations, to make him known, that's the point of all of this. 
then it begins with unity around submission to the Word of God. If you're going to be a church that's following the example of the church in Antioch and sending people to the nations, it's going to begin with an alignment and a unity around submission to the Word of God. So Derek, where are you getting that? Well, verse 1, I don't know if you saw that list. I was tempted to pass over it until I got kind of studying around a little bit. And I was blown away by the diversity of the people that are listed there. So even just from the people that are listed, Barnabas from Cyprus, modern-day Lebanon, Simeon, probably from northern Africa, uh, Lucius the Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, Menaean was a Roman person of power, really violent, New Herod, and then Saul, who was a terrorist, a persecutor of the church that made up this leadership team of this church that you, you read about and learned about last week. And they say that there was one thing that, that united all of them here in this verse. It says that they were prophets and they were teachers, and it's implied of this book, of the Word. Here's what I know that is true about everybody in this room, is there does exist ethnic diversity here, cultural diversity here, but even more so diversity of passions, diversity of spiritual gifts, diversity of personalities and wirings and burdens and occupations and resources that it could be tempted to go one of two ways. Either to say, we've got a uniform together. Just be, unity means uniformity. We're all going to be the same. And that's not glorifying to God. Or we say that our differences are going to be cause for division. And what these brothers model for us, the Church of Antioch models for us, is that they came together from all of these parts of life and they were centered, united around the Word. That in all of the diversity and the unique perspective that exists in this room, the one thing that unites us is we have met Jesus. Amen? That we have chosen, because He's shown His grace to us, to follow Jesus. And the glory that God gets through all of us together is a tapestry to more adequately reflect who he is. But get this, what if all the diversity of the gifts and the passions in this room was put together, that God formed the church of Tri-Cities Baptist Church for a purpose, for your joy in Jesus, but to say to leverage all of that creativity, all that diversity for the sake of his name among the nations. J.D. Greer, our SBC president and a pastor in Raleigh, says this all the time. That whatever you do, do it well to the glory of God, but do it somewhere strategically for the mission of God. That what if the life that you're already living, the passion of the person that he's already made you to be, yes, be faithful right where God's planted you, but to also see what if he were to use that for the sake of his name among the people who have never heard the name of Jesus or in places like Denver, Colorado, where people just go through their life and never even interact with a Christian. That's a normal everyday occurrence in Denver. Like what if? And I think these people were sold out to that, but it's not going to just be diversity around general sense of mission. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to take most of my time to walk you through a few passages of Scripture. Because I've really wrestled and prayed. I've prayed so much. What do I say? How do we? And I can try to tell some stories. We could do some things, some stats. But I want you to see the Word of God from cover to cover. And we could literally spend the next day looking at references. But I'm just going to give you a handful. That to show you that what we're talking about today of making known among the nations that begins in our neighborhood and begins with your kids is not a, a program of the church. 
It is the point of human history. It is what God has been doing throughout history. It's what he's doing in, in the world. So I just want to read some passages and make a few comments and resist the urge to preach all of these passages, okay? Here's the first thing I want to say to you. Listen, the purpose of God's people, you, has always been mission. Let's go back to all the way to Genesis, chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I will make you. He's talking to Abraham, and the you here through Abraham is going to be all of the Old Testament Israel that we're going to see coming from this one man. This is the beginning of God's plan to gather a people for himself. And I want you to see what he, what he says. And by proxy, he's meaning this uh, to, for us. He says, I will make of you, the people of God, a great nation. Why will you make us great, God? And I will bless you. Why are you going to bless the people of God? And I will make your name great. Why? So that, so that you will be a blessing. Not meant to stop with you. It's meant to extend through you to other people. Let's keep going. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, God says, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Get this. And in you, the people of God, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That word literally means ethne, the peoples of the world. It doesn't mean just like our nuclear families, but like peoples of the world. Ethnolinguistic groups, not nations as in like, like geopolitical borders, but like nations as in united by language, united by culture. Every family through you will be blessed because I'm going to bless you. Let's get one more. Isaiah 49. He says, I, God says, will make you, this is later in Israel's history, talking to the people of God, I will make you as a light for the nations. As you live your life together, do everything it is that you do together as a church, the point is to display something about who I am to the nations, the peoples of the world, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Church, listen, he saved you and he saved me that he might send you. There's not a version of following Jesus that does not align with this purpose. It's always been the purpose, but here's the point. So we say, okay, and we're supposed to go, but what's the purpose of mission? Why is it that God wants glory from every people of the world? Why does he tell us to go? What is it the purpose of our lives? So the purpose of mission has always been worship. Psalm 67 says this, may God be gracious to us. God, if you're not showing grace to us, if it's based upon what we do, we have no shot. But God, show your grace, your unmerited love and your kindness toward us and bless us. Why? Make your face to shine upon us. We want to know you. Why? So that your way may be known on earth. Make known the love of God on earth. Your saving power among all the peoples. Let all the peoples praise you, O God, and let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. One more, Psalm 86. The psalmist is just bursting forth in praise and says, God, there is none like you among the gods. O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Listen, it, the only thing that's going to motivate us is worship. There exist people right now who do not worship our Jesus. That they're worshiping 
a myriad of gods in Hinduism, or they're worshiping Buddha, or they're worshiping Allah, or they're in this atheistic, postmodern, secular society where they're worshiping themselves and not worshiping any god at all. And none of those false gods are worth the praise of people. Only God is worth the praise of people. Can I get some help? Amen. Do we believe this? He's worth it. And that's the only thing that's going to be a laser-sharp focus that causes us to do whatever it takes to go to them. But here's uh, this last thing that I want to say before we move on. is Our mission is focused because the command is clear. Matthew 28, you know this passage. It's worn out in your Bible if you're a member of this church. Matthew 28, the Great Commission before Jesus leaves us. He has lived for us, he died for us, and he rose again. And he looks at his followers in the face. Imagine Jesus looking at you right now and saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. So you go. Therefore, in light of my authority, in light of who you know me to be, and you make disciples of who? Of all nations. So listen, the the Great Commission is not just to see as many people as possible follow Jesus, although we pray that as many people as possible will follow Jesus. It is a specific command to be laser-sharp focused to say God is gathering people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people of this earth to gather around the throne. And the commission of the church is until Jesus returns to go and make disciples among every one of them. Here, but also there. No dichotomy against it. It's the same. That whatever happens in this room, whatever happens in the study groups, in our next-gen ministries here, and in life groups, and in serving the city, it's not saying we have to pick one or the other, or some people are called to go. It's to say this is the purposes of God, and Trust Cities Baptist Church exists to grow and flourish and deepen here and for the sake of there, for the nations. And you have a part to play in that. In so many ways, this church is about that. So thank you. You sent us, and thank you. But there's, I, I really do believe there's more of you all, all jumping into this call of God on your life. And I want to show you one more thing before we move on. Revelation 5, this is where it all ends. We go in confidence because of this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. If you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a prophetic insight of what will be in the future. Of when all history is written, this is where we're going. For you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We'll spend eternity gathered around the throne, praising Jesus with every people of this world. Church, that ought to motivate us. So, here's what I also know to be true. Is that you're like, bro, we barely made it to church on this morning. My kids are crazy. I've had a crazy week. I don't even know that I'm really investing in my own kids. I struggle to follow Jesus myself. The thought of reaching my neighbors and my coworkers scares the behebie-jeebies out of me. Can I get a witness? It scares us too. And now you're talking, there's billions of people around the world that I'm supposed to be responsible for. Like, I don't even know. And the answer can't just be, well, let's all go buy a plane ticket and go. Maybe, if you want to go, let's, let's do that. But I don't think that's where we start, because that's not how this started. They understood the purposes of God throughout the world and history. They understood the need. But again, that's still not enough. 
It helps to know our king has commanded us. He's doing something in the world. But look at this. He's inviting us to join him. That we do not have to start one thing. We are not starting God's activity in Denver. We got there and we realized God has been working in this place for generations. And we're just trying to be faithful to join what he's already doing. God is at work drawing people to himself in your neighborhood. He's at work drawing people to himself among every people of this world. And we can miss it unless we step in what he's doing so the pressure's off there is no cape flapping in the wind and if you've been looking for your cape and waiting to step into this purpose you're never going to find one and because God doesn't need us he doesn't need our gifts and he's inviting you and me to join in what he's doing and so look at what they were doing in verse 2 and this is how it's going to fuel our mission that our mission making known the love of God among the nations is fueled by being in the presence of God look at what was happening in verse 2 while they were worshiping the Lord these people in Antioch and they were fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them now I would love to be a fly on the wall have some insight of how in the world did that happen How did the Spirit speak? I don't know. I've got some ideas. We can chat about that later. But here's the point. I think it's ambiguous on purpose. Because it's not about a formula. It's about intimacy with your God. That if it was just, well, God's what's your will for my life, and it just plops down with clarity, or he spells it out in your Cheerios or whatever, you would miss out on what I was talking about earlier. You would miss out on the neediness that is true. You would miss out on knowing and hearing his voice and encountering God. It has to begin with worship. It has to begin with a desperation and a dependency in fasting and and in prayer. It has to begin that way. So we can say it like this. The point of mission is their worship and your involvement in the mission is clarified and sustained by your worship. The point is their worship, but it has to be motivated and starts as a flicker flame that will continue to sustain you by your worship. I'll read another quote for you. It says, the highest of missionary motives, like what's going to motivate this kind of lifestyle, is neither obedience to the Great Commission, as important as that is, that ought to be enough for us, nor even love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, as strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God but rather zeal. Burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. This next sentence will change your life if you let it. If you love the glory of God, you cannot be indifferent to missions. It begins with worship. Have you seen him? Are you walking with him? Do you know how good our God is? Because when you really begin to see him, The thought of other people not knowing him is not an option. It's not just for some people that will go. It's like we've got to do whatever it takes to see this happen. And your pastors want to help you to take next steps. And so if you feel like I'm just overwhelmed, like chat with these guys. They want to help. We go because we're compelled by his beauty. But here's the second. We go because we're compelled by his mercy. is that the fact that you're in this room right now worshiping Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus here, is grace. He showed himself to you and saved you. Listen, somebody told you the gospel. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So that if you have faith that you heard because somebody told you, and we have to open our eyes and say, God, if you've done this for me, I love you. And it's not out of guilt and shame or trying to fix all those people or save all those poor people around the world. And well, it's out of a, because you have loved me, I go. Not to earn your love, but because you have loved me. It must begin with your worship. But then fasting. Um, if I've learned anything over the last year and a half, and I've learned a lot, but I, this is one of the main lessons that I've learned is I've been so convicted over my lack of prayer that when I was here, I prayed. It's part of a church that loves prayer. But there, there was something missing. It was anemic. It was weak. And since moving out there, our prayer life is not because we're super spiritual, but out of need. Like, I'm in over my head in literally every way, okay? Prayer is, like, really, in some ways, the only option that we feel. And we're watching God answer direct prayers. But I, I really do believe, I, I want to speak to you, and I don't want to get too up in your grill, because I hope some of you are pursuing this, but I'm just talking about me. I was, there was one of two reasons why I was not praying more. Number one is because I was not on mission, engaging in real desperate dependency. Because when you get out there and you're, you're in over your head every day, you will pray. You will fast. So maybe that's, my lack of prayerlessness was because of my lack of obedience. Or maybe I was actually engaging in mission, and we were trying to do that. And I think even more convicting is, I thought I had it. It was the illusion of self-sufficiency. And what fasting is saying, I will go without food, or I will go without something that I love, because God, I need you more than I need anything else in my life. And the hunger pains that I feel is meant to, to push me into how desperate, dependent that I actually am all the time. And if we're not cultivating this and walking in this, it's probably because we really don't feel our need. And I'm just asking, like, what would happen among Trusties Baptist Church if we took this seriously and you said, okay, in community like this, we're going to just get together. What's the first step? Is that we're going to fast, we're going to pray, and we're going to worship God together as a family, as a roommate, as a life group, as friends, and just see what God might do. We're going to fast and ask God that the harvest is great. Lord, we're praying for laborers to be sent into the harvest. Would you do that in this church? Would you do that at the Oaks in Denver? We're praying desperately for the nations to come to know God and then pray, what if I'm part of the answer to my prayer? That I'm willing if you want to leverage my job, my vocation, my skill, my money to see this happen more and more through this church in whatever way uh, that would mean. I'm, what would happen if we started here? And here's the last thing. If we're going to make known the love of God among the nations, it demands mutual sacrifice and mutual obedience and partnership to the mission of God. So they sent out, God, Spirit said, hey, we're sending out these two people. The two people that the Spirit identified to go were some of the best leaders that they had. And what's going to happen, we know that a movement is going to spread as they go from town to town, from city to city, speaking the gospel and making disciples and planting churches among people who have yet to hear. The movement that spreads, and get this, why we're in this room today is because they were obedient. Christianity didn't start here. We get that, right? It started over there and it made its way to us because the church at Antioch heard from God and were compelled by the glory of God and they sent, they sacrificed and released. But listen, Paul and Barnabas, you read the book of Acts and it wasn't just movement, newsletters, look at all that God's doing. They suffered 
unimaginably. It cost them literally everything. But it wasn't just the two people that, that got, they sent, but I'm praying that God would call some of you out to be the Paul and Barnabas, to go, to help us in Denver, to go to another church planting city, to go to the nation and do it long term. I'm asking that God would do that. But most of you will stay. And again, like we said earlier, it's not lesser. But it is a mutual cost to you. And it is a mutual obedience for you to say we want to reorient the way we live our lives, the way we spend our money. That Listen, when you see God and you see this purpose, even here, to be a church like this, to be a church like Antioch, to say, I'm going to hold so loosely my comfort. I'm going to hold so loosely my love for safety. This is a big one. I'm going to hold loosely my relationships and even with my family. Whatever you, wherever you lead, I will follow you. We will be a church that's about this. Yes, here, but this. It'll cost. And is he worth it? We're here because somebody was obedient, but who is going to be in heaven with you because of your obedience? And that's not to say that the pressure's on us to save all these people. Not true at all. God's going to say, he will save whom he will save. It's not up to us to go do, but to say he's chosen, that his means for which he will save the nations is through his church. And you're a part of that. That is the purpose of life. To say, my life is a purpose. To say, I may be able to share the gospel for somebody for the first time. There will be people in heaven worshiping Jesus because of our faithfulness of this church. And that will cause you to do this with everything. Motivation. The Lord, just speak to me. Tell me, what does this mean for us? So, uh, we want to do that. So, if you'll, we're going to close. And if you'll bow your head. Nothing magical about this time. And I really, I'm asking you, please do not check out. If the team will come up and, um, and get ready. I want to ask you three questions in line with what we've talked about this morning. Nothing new here. I just want to give you some space to ask the Holy Spirit. Because they were together worshiping and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, go. So maybe he'll do that even in this room right now. Maybe he is doing that. So here's the three questions I want you to wrestle with with me. First, am I living submitted to the purpose of God in the world? Heard throughout the scriptures this morning, just a a taste of what God is doing, what he's up to. Will you align your life to that? And if you're here and you're investigating Christianity, exploring Christianity, I know this is heavy and maybe overwhelming. This probably isn't day one stuff for you. But start with turning from your sin and putting faith and trust in who Jesus said he is. He lived he died and he rose again for the, your forgiveness of sins. You could be reconciled into relationship with your maker. And then, be, listen, given his spirit and a purpose that we've been talking about this morning. So if you're here and don't know Jesus, we invite you to follow him. But for the rest of us, are you living submitted? Open hands, maybe even like if that helps, like literally open your physical hands and say, God, I want to surrender. Second thing, am I enjoying Jesus? desperately pursuing him. That all this church planning mission stuff at the end of the day is not all it's cracked up to be. It has to be a resolve. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. I want to know you. I want to love you. So maybe for the, you just need to start with saying, I just, God, I want to know you again. And maybe the action step is that I'm going to 
fast and pray for my relationship with you first, that it would spill, my joy in you would spill out to the joy of other people. I'm going to take it seriously. Do whatever it takes. And then lastly, how is the Spirit leading me to take next steps in making the love of God known among the nations? What's my next step? Don't get overwhelmed by the enormity of it all. But he's calling you to obedience. What does it look like for you, your family, your context? One step. You'll hear more about that in just a second. I want to pray to this end. So Father, you are worth the praise of all people. Thank you for saving us, for redeeming us. But God, I pray that what we're about to sing with open hands would define the people that is Tri-Cities Baptist Church. We trust you. We follow you, whatever it takes. God, help us to see what you're doing around the world, and you want us to join you. Give us a trust. Give clarity. Spirit, speak, move, call. Do what you need to do. And may more people, when we gather around the throne, because of this moment, moments like it, through this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand together and sing?